what Heidi said about worship was so true. And if I could pick out music like Phil does, these are the songs I would have picked out for this message. And we didn't even talk about this. So listen through the message because those same themes are going to come through. Well, good morning. I think I know a lot of you, but some of you are new. So uh, I'm going to do some review in there. But first, we're going to do some current events. Uh, last week, uh, my sons and I, so Jack Tucker, Luke, and Hank, went camping. Does anybody remember what the temperature was like last weekend? It was freezing. It was. I don't even know how cold it was because we were like out of cell range. So we didn't even get the cell phone. I couldn't even tell what the weather was. Uh, and my phone quit. I mean, my, my thermometer on my watch quit working too. No, I'm just kidding. It was, it was very cold. Um, but my dad went with us. And I'll talk a little bit more briefly about that. It was a really good father, son, and grandfather, son, grandson time. Um, so this week, there's been a lot going on. I said current events, and um, today is actually a pray for the persecuted church day. So we're going to do that, but just there's something about being here. It's so nice and warm, and, and we're out of the rain. Um, we're not being persecuted. There's pressure to not read the Bible, and we succumb to that, but that's about the most persecution we experience. There's countries there's 120 million people that, that can't even talk about Jesus or pursue him like we get to do. So I need to raise the bar, your attention. I need to raise that up. And we're going to pray for them a little bit later on too. Um, a little bit lighter. Anything happened this week that anybody uh, we marked as a nation, maybe as a church? Tuesday? Uh, just yell it out, anybody. Reformation Day, yes, I thought somebody would say Halloween and I was going to have to put you down. But uh, no, the actual, actually it is the, the celebration or the anniversary of the 500th anniversary of what we call the Protestant Reformation. If you're not familiar with this, it really is a big deal. And, and I'm going to weave it through our whole uh, message today about the reforming idea. So uh, just briefly, Martin Luther is given credit for starting this fire, this reformation. And all he did was um, pursue God. He, he had this tremendous guilt that he was trying to get rid of. And the more he dug into the Bible, the more he saw this isn't quite right, the way we're doing religion. So he posted some statements, some we called them theses, uh, in a public place to debate it. And it caused a war with him and the church. And we became the Protestant movement then at that point. What came out of that, though, was this U-turn in theology. We rediscovered grace, the grace of God to us. And that's huge. We need that. We have to have that. It's, it's a crux. Um, Luther was also part of a team, just like our team here. He had a mentor, he had subordinates, and he had contemporaries. And a lot of those guys are big names in that Reformation movement, that Protestant Reformation. Okay, enough about that for right now. Oh, I'm sorry. No, there isn't enough about that. This The next... Um, so Martin Luther wasn't trying to cause trouble or bring you know, light on himself. He was pursuing God. And in that, I'm going to have to move. I, I can't see my notes very well. Uh, through it, God was also working some other details. So he had these others. So we just finished our series, others. They're faithful people and God sets them in our lives. But he may have a lead person like Martin Luther. And you might be an other or you might be the lead guy. So just be ready to step into what he has. But God was also working um, 
the development, the, the creation of the Gutenberg printing press. And that allowed for mass production of ideas of, of paper, of processing, but it put the Bible back in the people's hands. This is key. So and now people had access to it. They didn't have to listen to a priest or somebody else tell them from a different language. They could read it themselves. So the end result, though, were these five statements, and I have them put up here on a slide, and we call them the five solas. So they're doctrinal statements, and they're in Latin. Sola gratia is the first one, grace alone. So we are saved by grace alone. So I talked about that, that U-turn, that, re, that rediscovery. The second one is sola fide, faith alone. We are saved by grace, so God's grace, through faith alone. So faith has to come next after God gives us grace. Then sola Christus, what, faith in what? Faith in Christ alone. Sola Scriptura, if we say this in a sentence type, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone. They're our highest authority. And all of that is to bring glory to God. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. So everything we do, everything I talk about today is going to be pointing to the glory of God alone. All right. So our new series, The Wilderness. Um, I want to talk, I get so excited about the way that God weaves our teaching team ideas. So we don't get together and talk about the actual details. We talk about the series, but not the details in it. Well, this is even bigger than that. So we started a series on David, late midsummer, late summer. And what I want to highlight out of there is the heart condition. So it's God's heart from that series is what we're looking for. And David just got credit for being a, a man after God's own heart. Well, then we jump into the series on the Tremble series. And I have to tell you, I cut out about like 2,000 words out of this section because I wanted you to grasp the idea of trembling at God's word. We cannot serve God and ignore his word. We have to be in his word. That's his revelation. That's his presence for us right now. This uh, couple verses, four verses in Isaiah 66, I wanted to show to you. Uh, one and two go through what the Lord, who the Lord is. We sang a little bit about it, who God is. He's named all the stars. He, he's so awesome, that, that this ominous, this this creator of everything that we can't even grasp it. So that's where his heart is. And all he's asking for us there is the last part of verse two is those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at his word. So we get that. Now, where are we at? Well, let's go to three and four. Pages, or I'm sorry, verses three and four talk about these religious practices, these things that we do. And in this case, it was sacrifices. Anybody can sacrifice a bull. But if you do it for the wrong reason, not out of a heart for God, then you're, you're nothing to him. That's not where he wants you to be. So just like the church in Luther's time, he, they, they had become really good at practicing religion, but without a heart for God. And something had to change. Well, Isaiah is saying that too. I don't want the sacrifices. God's saying, ignore those. I don't want those. If you're going to do anything, I want your heart to be humble and contrite. So we need to know this word. We need to tremble at his word. We need to know the significance of God's word and study it so we can apply it. His promises, 
we need to be able to hear them and, and hear them with importance so they move us. His faithfulness, we need to see it. We, we can go back over thousands of years and see where God said what he, he said something and he did it. He was faithful in what he was going to do. And then we need to taste his glory. And, and uh, as I read some of these passages, you start to just get that, that sense. All of your sentences are heightened. And that's what I mean by taste his glory. You're moved into his presence. All right. So after the Tremble series, oh, I'm sorry. The, yeah, the Tremble series was to put, to look at our relationship of our heart condition versus uh, God's heart condition and where we want to move to. Let's see. Okay, and after the, the Tremble series, we got into the Others series. And really, there was so much in there that was very good. But what I want to say is we saw examples of faithfulness. So other people, maybe not even very popular or, or well-known, but they, we showed where God fit them in and used them because they were faithful. So that's an example of our heart condition in practice. And now we're ready to talk about the wilderness. And the wilderness is our heart condition in training or preparation or reforming. I'm going to say that word a lot. Because of that reformation, we are reforming. God's working a, a change in our hearts. So let's begin. Let's pray as we begin this series. Sorry, my notes are really, I changed them all this morning. <laughs> Lord, we come to you and we just ask you, we know you're here, but we ask you to teach us your way. Help us to move our hearts closer to you. Lead us in a path that is straight. Light the darkness for us. And deliver us from the will of our enemy because we know he's out there and he's, he's looking for ways to derail us. And we ask you to just move closer to us in your presence. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I hate to keep stopping, but there's so much to cover here. If I were to ask you these questions, I want you to have them in your mind ready. Why do we even talk about this stuff? Well, I would say a lot of you call yourselves Christians. So why? What makes you a Christian? Um, Jesus didn't come to make Christians. He came to make disciples. So you may be named a Christian, but are you walking as a disciple? Are you stepping into it? I want you to think about that. Gather that in your mind because you need to go somewhere with this. What's God doing in your life right now? I would love it. If something comes to your mind when I say that, write that down. Put that in your phone. There's something God is working on in your life. That's what the wilderness training is about. See, you need to know these things. If, if nothing else, tell people why, who God is, why he's different than any of the other idols, the other gods that are out there listed, and what's your relationship with Jesus. And if you can't, then we're going to show you a process how to get there. But then that leads me into the next one. Why do you need to know if you're a Christian or what your purpose is about? Because how do you know if God's working on your life? How do you recognize this struggle that you may be going through isn't that process, that teaching, that class session, that time period that he's preparing you to step into something? You know, those others, those contemporaries of Luther in this case, or Isaiah, somebody is there for a purpose and then God's working on something in your life. All right. The... In Ephesians, it talks about there's a time for everything. And it got me thinking, 
you know, what if that time is a training period? And I started to think through all the struggles that I've gone through or I hear people around me go through. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's job or work related. Are, are you working at a job that doesn't inspire you? Well, where's your heart condition? You know, are, there, are you there for you or are you there for others, for this bigger purpose that God has you? Do you love those people around you? I would challenge you today, if you go to work tomorrow to serve others, your job will change for you. It may need to change your job, but your job will change for you if you do that. How about your age? Since I'm the oldest guy on our teaching team, no, there are things that I do that's different than people that are younger than me. But that's, I'm not that wise that much different. I came up here with a manila folder and white paper. The only thing that makes it different is God's word, okay? We just took extraordinary, went to, or ordinary, went to extraordinary. That's what your life needs to be like. Um, some other problems, you know, health problems. We, we have gone through as a church, as a church family, some big health problems, either directly or indirectly, families, friends. And those are struggles. Those are wilderness periods. So we're going to talk more about that. Relationships, though, I think are our biggest one. And I will say that this message is born out of some big relationship struggles that I was going through, but I know they're not uncommon to most people. Wilderness training is to bring you closer to God, period. Everything we do is aimed at bringing glory to God. That sola deo gloria is for his glory. And it's to make us more like Christ. And I have to say another exciting thing. I'll just share this with you. I wasn't looking for a study of Ezekiel, but our son Hank mentioned it. And I always, I work harder. Uh, our relationship doesn't come as easy. So when he said he wanted to study Ezekiel, I'm like, I latched onto that. I'm going to go read Ezekiel and be ready to talk to him. But through that study and a really deep like, question-answer series and then some stuff that Sherry and I were going through, kind of my failures as a, fulfilling my role as a husband, you know, I started seeing it more as, uh, and this is the way I've been trained my whole life. See, being a husband and father is for me and not necessarily as being a servant. So just listening, being a, an encourager, being an empathizer is a huge role that I wasn't fulfilling. And that needs to happen. And, but that came out through this study in Ezekiel and seeing a reliance on God through it. So I get excited when I see God's hand in these things. And the thing I want you to hear out of that is that there's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And when we hear that, we need to, we're, we're becoming more like Jesus. We're becoming more in tune with the Holy Spirit. See, God the Father loves us. And I'm going to continue to show you some pictures of that, that grace first. But then he sent Jesus to come and pay the price to get it all set even. We have faith in Jesus, but then he gave us the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the leader, so we need to be in tune with him and we'll be in tune with God. So now we're ready to talk about Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet and in the Old Testament, prophets were used to, to deliver God's word, to announce it. So a prophet means somebody that announces, somebody that sees or a visionary because they've been given God's word. And Ezekiel's name means God's strength. Because when you're delivering an uncompromising judgment message, 
to people that are leaders in the community, in the temple even, you need to be strong. And then he was consistent because he also delivered the message of, of, of this uh, restoration, that God wasn't just going to destroy him, period. He was going to restore a remnant. Okay. Now, last January, if you remember our study on Daniel, we talked about this time period, this wilderness episode that Israel was going through, that Jerusalem was going to be taken over by the Babylonians, and the exiles were taken away to Babylonia and some other territories. Well, there was a time period that that was all going on, and while Daniel was one of the exiles, Ezekiel is back in Jerusalem talking to the leaders, the temple uh, leaders and the, the leaders of Jerusalem, and then to Judah also. But he was going to eventually be in exile also. So while I'm talking about Ezekiel today and his wilderness, there's that wilderness, there's the Hebrew wilderness, which he refers to back in Exodus. So God's word was good enough to talk to the Israelites in in 600 BC before Christ. Uh, uh, Exodus was 1,500, 2,000 years before Christ. It was still good enough for him. It's good enough for us to use too. We need to know Exodus as well as any other book in the Bible. God's word continues to be relevant for us. But then there was also a little guy, King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you guys remember him? He went through his own wilderness experience, and I wish I had time to talk about it, but there's all these, these layers that God's working in wilderness training for all these groups of people and different ones. So real quickly, this introduction has got to be the longest one I've ever done. <laughs> uh, Ezekiel's 48 chapters long. The first half, verse 24, is God coming through Ezekiel telling Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen because of all of your ancestors. You didn't learn from it. You're repeating it but only worse because you've got the real temple and my presence was with you right there and you're worshiping idols in my temple. So the presence of God left. Then Ezekiel gets from uh, 24 to, or 25 to 32. He's prophesying, you know what? All these other nations that brought you those idols, I'm gonna judge them too. And he names them. He says in, in those six or seven chapters, these countries, the Edomites, uh, Tyre, Egypt, all where they sent their, their idols, their influence was from, they're going to be judged. And then finally, the last half, 33 through 48, Ezekiel passes on this word of God that the final judgment of Jerusalem's coming, but there's a restoration. If you've heard of the Valley of Dry Bones, he sees this vision, that's that, that spirit coming back, God's spirit coming back in to the presence of the people. In a, in a way. So there's restoration coming. Now, Ezekiel 20. I'm going to read about uh, nine or ten verses and then talk a little bit. In the seventh year of the fifth month on the tenth day, some of the elders of the Israel came to inquire of the Lord, and they sat down in front of me. So they sat down in front of Ezekiel. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Have you come to inquire of me? As surely as I live, I will not let you inquire of me, declares the sovereign Lord. Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man, then confront them with the detestable practices of their ancestors 
and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hands to the descendants of Jacob and revealed myself to him in Egypt. With uplifted hand, I said to them, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt into the land and search the, that I searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. And I said to them, each of you get rid of your vile images that you have set your eyes on and do not defile your, yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the elders come to Ezekiel. God's word comes to Ezekiel. He has a choice. These guys are influential in the community. They're, you know, they don't need Ezekiel, but God says, I have a job for you to do. They're coming to you because they know I speak through you, so you need to give them the truth. So Ezekiel is in this tough spot. I'll call it a wilderness for him. And he'd been in it for 20 chapters already. I mean, he'd been living this and it's a struggle. He's calling them to repent, but it doesn't seem like there's any sight anything in sight for that. And he's predicting the fall of Jerusalem. In this case, this destruction and then the exile would be to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So here we go. Ezekiel either chooses to pass on God's word, be the conduit for it, or ignore it and let the people flounder. Either way, they were not going to repent and they were going to be judged. But do you understand that your wilderness is for you? Ezekiel didn't have to take part in it, but he did. And, and we're glad that he did. But it's an example for each of us. Your wilderness is for your development. God can work around you. So God said to these people, I chose you first. I led them, your ancestors, out of Egypt. I showed them my word. And out of love, though, I'm asking your obedience. And he will demand obedience. Now we go on in uh, chapter, or verse 8 in chapter 20. But the people rebelled. And in, I'm going to paraphrase, instead of judging them completely, just flat out destroying them, this is for the sake of his name. God says this, but for the sake of my name and because of all the nations around you so that I won't be embarrassed, that I will be raised up, I'm going to prove to you and I will restore a remnant. I will, I will bring them out of Egypt into the wilderness. And this is where it kind of gets crazy. Ezekiel's telling the people in Jerusalem to listen. Look what happened to your elders, your ancestors. God took them out of Egypt, which was miraculous, like a hundred times miraculous. They went into the wilderness and the parents ignored it. They just kept failing and failing. So finally, God says later on in this chapter, he says, what I told them was, the younger generation, ignore your parents. That is not normally biblical. But in this case, God is saying, don't do what they are doing. Do what I told you. I told them to do it. And I told them. So I'm not sure what your training was coming in here. You may not have been trained in reading the Bible. You may not have been trained in respecting others or your elders. But God says it. This is so key. It can't just be passed from generation to generation. God wants it to be that way, but he's given us his revelation, his word. You, you can't be in his presence without his word. So don't miss that point. I'm going to 
kind of summarize here. God's telling these people, go into the wilderness, obey me, and there's life in it. I think I have a slide for that. And at the end of that verse, that section there, he says the Sabbaths are given to you to show that you're holy, that I made you holy. Now the word holy means set apart. And this kind of, I I was ruminating on this, this whole thing. Why do we even have the Sabbath? And so I kind of drew up a little picture and I hope that this makes sense. In Mark 2, verse 27, Jesus reaffirms the importance of the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what that stirred a thought into me, this next slide, I think we've got, yes, I've got Sabbath, the law, and Saturday, and I'm put the last because that's usually, we consider it the last day of the week. Now on this left side, I've got Selah, Grace, and Sunday, the first day of the week. The way God works and the way we manipulate this is God gave us the Sabbath. He said, I'm giving you this day. He's going to give you manna, provision, all these days, but I'm going to give you a day that you don't have to go out and work. I just want you to glory in me. That's what a Selah, in our, in our case, our practice here at church, is a, a day to glory in God. And in that, we're saying we trust him because we do it on the first day of the week. We trust him for the rest of the week, all of our provision. See, under the law, it feels like God didn't intend it, but it feels like it's gotten, oh, we got to get up, we got to work all week long. And then at the end, we get a break. And God's going to give us, so like it's a checkoff or a score. It's not that way. God loves us first. He gives us grace. He gives us a time to glory in him first. And he says, I'm going to provide for you the rest of the week. Does that make sense? That's God's economy. And that's what we need to get there. Whatever you're going through, trust him first. We've talked all through this service about faith. Step into it. Trust him. He will provide. He'll provide all the details. Wow, blew through that page. Okay, so the people of Israel continue to rebel and they're in the wilderness. So God took them to the wilderness to reform their hearts, but that older generation, you know, we're back in coming out of Egypt, they weren't listening. So God says, you know what, just do what I said and I will over time bring you in, this younger generation, this remnant. And the reason I'm telling you that is because God's going to do things for the sake of his name. You may not like that, but it's God. God gets to do that, and he's going to use us. He wants us to go along with us. He wants us to love him, but he's going to do things, including judgment, that will glorify his name. Um, In Jeremiah, let me go back to Ezekiel, and this time that the Babylonians had taken Daniel, they've now taken Ezekiel. And if you remember Jeremiah was a was a, a prophet just a little ahead of their time. I still consider him a contemporary. But he said in uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back. Now that passage goes on about the promises that he has, what his idea for Israel is. And a lot of times we, we hold on to that. But Daniel, in this case, and Ezekiel, They went back and read God's word. They read Jeremiah. They knew God had made a promise. It's going to be 70 years. They're going to be in Babylon. So guess what? They have hope. And they get to spread that hope among the exiles because they know there's a time 
They don't know the details. They just know it's going to come to an end. They're going to step into it and go back to Jerusalem for the presence of God. Now, it's time to get personal. Do you guys have any idols? Do you have anything that you need to get rid of that you put before God? I found this definition. I thought this was awesome because it says an idol is anything that you have to check with before you say yes to God. Is there anything holding you back? You get a prompting from the Holy Spirit. You know it's the right thing to do. Whatever it is, go tell somebody you're sorry or I forgive you or start the plan for your finances or start the plan for your change in work. Whatever it is, who are you checking with? What are you checking with before you do it? Before you say, yes, God, I will follow you. You must... You must see that the, the people in Jerusalem, they had mastered religion. They were the temple leaders. They were in there all the time, but without a heart towards God. And even after they were shown it, they were shown their idolatry. They were called out on this multiple times. This is the unthinkable idolatry. At some point, your heart will be so hardened because you keep putting other people or things in front of God that you won't be able to hear that voice, that prompting anymore. So have you committed any unthinkable idolatry? Do you have any idols that you need to put back in their proper places, in their categories in your life? See, God will take you through a wilderness period of restoration, of cleansing, of training. He, he will do that. To recommit to him, to reprioritize your life, and ultimately to bring him glory. We need to smile when we say that. We need to know that whatever we're doing, we're stepping into bringing him glory. Now, I like to, as I dig into these things, I like to then step back and say, hey, okay, what all is going on here? I've referred many times to um, promises of God, his faithfulness, his examples of faithfulness. What he's going to do for in the future, uh, the people that he has around you, we continue to see that. God's working the details for our benefit, for our success. All we have to do is step into his will. So if we recap here, Ezekiel's telling these people of Jerusalem, the temple leaders that, of their wrongdoing in terms that they could understand. You know, he used the book of Exodus in their own history, and he's calling them to repent. So this is a tough spot for Ezekiel and his, his wilderness walk. But there's also people that are speaking against them. So he was considered a prophet, but there are a lot of other people that were considered prophets, but they were false prophets. And they're saying, you know what? Don't worry about the Babylonians. God won't let them destroy the temple and Jerusalem proper. He may judge the rest of Jerusalem and Judah, that area, but no, he's not gonna destroy the temple because we got a good thing going. We're his chosen people. So they're speaking what the leaders wanna hear. But Ezekiel it continues to speak what God has commanded. But Ezekiel knew that God's word, what God's word was, and he remained in God's presence. So how did he get, how, how does he do that? And then how do we do that? How do we stay in God's presence through our wilderness experiences? This, I'm gonna have to expand this because Ezekiel, I see him do it through all 48 chapters but it doesn't specifically, I, I didn't glean that out of there. 
what I did get was that he couldn't necessarily help where he was, but he could help how he responded. So we need to take that response. You know, I told you this morning, or last week we went camping, and the boys and I, um, you know, we, we went in tents. So we didn't have heaters. We, uh, we took a lot of extra clothes. In fact, um, well, I'll show you that in a minute here. Um, there were 543 other guys, men and their boys, their sons, signed up to go to this camp. And it was cold, so I think about 350 of them showed up. But on Thursday night, we got together and we decided that, you know what, this is going to be a no-complaint zone. Because we, our mission, you know, what we were there for was to encourage our sons, to serve our sons, to talk to them about their relationship in, with Jesus. But then, you know what the biggest thing is? Is they get to see us worshiping Jesus. And we said, you know what? If, if they see us or hear us complaining, it's going to derail that whole mission. So we decided Thursday night when we got there that it was going to be a no complaint zone. And, and that is what Ezekiel's doing here. He's making a decision. There's a bigger mission. He stayed in the presence of God. And we see that through all of the book of Ezekiel. We need to remain in the word also. Because he has this work to, for us to do. And, and our mission is too big to not be in the presence of God, to not hold on to what he's given us. And this reality is the crux of everything about how we proceed through the wilderness. Um, David, King David is an awesome example of the expressions that we need to, to mirror. Use those expressions. Um, he shows us an example of how he got through a tough time. In 1 Samuel 30, the Amalekites had attacked, and he and his men were off at war, but his family were all at Ziklag. And I'll pick up here in verse 3. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found that it, had, it was destroyed by fire and that their wives and sons and daughters were gone. Earlier it says they were not killed though. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. But imagine that. You cried so hard that you, didn't, you couldn't even cry anymore. David lost his two wives. They had been captured. And David was greatly distressed because not only had he lost all that, but now his own men were thinking of stoning him because of it. They were blaming him for all of this. So what was his choice? It says, David found strength in the Lord his God. And I like the King James Version. It says, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And we sang that this morning. I don't know if you guys caught that, but we, we sang about that, strengthening ourselves in God's word and knowing him. See, this is how, this is the example that we need. We've got the word here. We need to use it. You've got to be in it daily because it's your daily manna. It's your daily food. And it's, we like to say it's a hook that you, it's an idea that you hang hooks on. Every time you come across it, you re-strengthen that idea and then you get to apply it because there's going to be a time you're going to need to apply it. And there's so many examples. I'll give you a couple of them of God's promises, his example of, of faith, his faithfulness, and examples of how, like I said, to express this. So we may not know how to do this, but it's in there. 
God's given us. And one example is in uh, Psalm 22, when David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? But he doesn't stop there. So there needs to be this time of crying out. There needs to be this anguish time. And every situation is going to be different. But there are promises and there are examples of his faithfulness and there's ideas and you know promptings from the holy spirit where you're headed so we need to regain our perspective we need to we need to have support it may come from family and friends or it may only come from the word but god's going to do this also understand remember those false prophets satan knows this too he knows when you're going through a wilderness and he's going to try to keep you down try to redirect you so that you don't rely on god and his word as Ezekiel was prophesying, all these false prophets were around him. But like David and Ezekiel, we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So I'm throwing that on you. I'm saying it's up to you too. Okay, you, you're going to have to do this. Not everybody can help you and carry you along. It's your faith. You have to express your faith in Christ Jesus and step into it. Now, as I've been uh, writing this passage, this message, I've been studying the Psalms. I've been going through them. And I, I want you to get this. If you're looking for some way to dwell in God's word, read Psalm 119. So the last 25 days or so, I've been just rereading and dwelling in Psalm 119. And it's acrostic, meaning it's built around the, the Hebrew alphabet. So all, all of the stanzas, the passages of eight or 10 verses, start with the alphabet, a letter in the alphabet. And it goes through, and it, it, but it's just so thorough. So it's not even about the word, it's about what the word does. And I want you to get that because if you don't go into this with expecting growth, expecting God's presence in his, you'll miss it all. You'll just be reading for the sake of reading. Now, Charles Spurgeon has a quote and I wanna read it to you. I think I have it up here, yeah. If you wanna know God, you must know his word. Don't be listening to everybody else. You need to read his word and you'll know God. If you wish to perceive the power that is in his word, you must see how he worketh. So those promises and that faithfulness, he works it and you can see it when you read his word. And if you wish to know before the purpose before it actually is brought to pass, you can only discover that in his word. Now I mentioned the Reformation at the beginning of, well, several hundred years after this Reformation, when the people had gotten the Bible back in their hands, they must have quit using it because some reformers in Scotland, some pastors, were noticing this really good at religion, but not with the heart of God anymore. And they're trying to come up with, you know, what do we do now? And they're, they're asking and begging for Reformation. Well, what they came up with was an attitude and an approach, an advertising slogan, and Semper reformanda, meaning always reforming. But the idea isn't like, hey, we need different music, or we need a different stage set up, or we need to uh, do this a little bit different building. It's not for the sake of being cutting edge and entertainment. It's for the sake of realigning with God the Father, with knowing that Jesus is our Lord. So we're always reforming and counting on the Holy Spirit to lead us through. Couple more things about this. How, uh, you guys haven't had that much Latin in a long time, have you? 
So there's so much in the God's word to encourage us. Um, Psalm 145, a psalm of, of praise from David. I don't want you to forget to praise him. Just dwell in him. So the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who, who fear him. He hears their cries and he saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. We've got to remember that. John 16, 33 says, I have told you all these things. Our message needs to be this. I've told you all these things so that in me, you will have peace. We've talked about that, that peace that you get from knowing Jesus. And in this world, you may not, you have trouble, so you'll have wildernesses, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, God has overcome the evil. Now, take that peace and go through the wilderness, anticipating God's leading and your growth. I want you to anticipate your growth, your change. Um, I ran across these quotes from Frederick Marsh, and I put them up here. You may want to take a picture of this, because if you want to lean on something, this will be good. He was a Bible teacher, and he wrote these for his kids, actually. He says, in the Bible, we have an acceptance that can never be questioned. Uh, Ephesians 1.6. We have an inheritance that can never be lost, a deliverance that can never be excelled, a grace that can never be limited. We have a hope that can never be disappointed. Imagine, let that savor. You have a hope that can never be disappointed. That'll make you step forward. We have a bounty that can never be withdrawn. We have a joy that can never be diminished, a nearness to God that can never be reversed. That's a warming feeling. We have a righteousness that can never be tarnished and a salvation that can never be canceled. We have a peace that can never be disturbed. I just want you to choose to be in the presence of God. God's given promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joshua. Don't be afraid. Go. So if you're in a wilderness, what's God working on in your life? Identify it. Ask him to lead you through it. Acknowledge him, turn to him, draw near to him. You must find a way, and it'll be different at different stages in your life too. Encourage somebody else because it may be different for them, but lean on God. And remember the glory of God is sufficient. Ultimately, the glory of God is sufficient. He'll work out the details. And I wanna pray right now, and I want you to pray with me. I wanna pray for reformed hearts, Lord, Jesus, move us, change our hearts, reform us. We want a constant pursuit of you in every step. Help us to know that you are only a breath away. You're right there. I want for all of us the wherewithal to encourage ourselves in you, Lord. And I want to take a minute now to pray for the persecuted church, for the, that they have your word all over the world and that they have the, uh, the ability to be encouraged by your word. I don't know what that looks like. I just want you to be glorified in it all, Jesus. And we come to you when we pray in your name. Amen.